Well, kind of good to, one thing that I like to do when I read the Bible is try and get myself thinking, you know, so I'm not just, you know, sometimes when you're reading a book or even reading the Bible and you read and you are just reading and then you come to the end and you realize, wow, I've been thinking about something else while I've been reading and I don't really remember what I read. So it's helpful to just try and ask some questions or get my mind focused, you know, on, on the text and one thing that I thought, we're getting ready to start a new book here from the New Testament that we're going to go through for the next couple of months. And one thing that I thought might be good as a way to introduce it is just ask, if you were going to write a book um, to a new or newly planted church in a hostile culture, and you didn't have very much space, you know, what would you say? What do you think is the most important thing um, things to get across and what would you leave out and the book we're going to look at is Titus um, it's short we're just going to read the actually read the whole thing it's like piece by piece today and do the plan today is to do a background and setting of this book and the people in the book and then do an outline of the whole book um, just kind of like where we're going just a you know, large overview, you know, just 20,000 foot view. Here's what the whole book is about. And, and that's kind of the plan today. So this is what Paul would have said to this specific church here. And so let's just start by reading the first, just the first uh, four <coughs> verses, and then we'll keep going as we go through, but we'll start there. Titus chapter one, going to read verses one to four. Kind of convenient that all the T books are there together right before Hebrews, so easy way to remember it. Thessalonians and Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, Philemon, Hebrews. So, um, let's start there. Titus 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, a servant or slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So, actually, you know what? Let's read verse 5 here as well, just the beginning of it. This is why I left you in Crete. So, now we know the person who wrote it, Paul, who he's writing to, Titus, and where the setting is Crete. And so, first, let's just talk about Paul and Titus. And I think most of you know who Paul is. <laughs> But Titus appears in a couple of the places in the New Testament. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses here, kind of giving you some background on Titus, who he is. The, uh, he grew up Greek. Um, I'll read you a couple of verses where Paul mentions Titus in other letters. In Galatians, Paul says about Titus, After 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. 
But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. So one thing we learned about Titus is that Titus traveled with Paul, and he was a part of this conflict that Paul had about preserving the gospel. And some, they call it, in Titus, they call it the circumcision party, are saying the gospel isn't just faith in Christ, but it, you have to do some of these ceremonial things as well. And so Paul's arguing for that. And Titus was right there, a part of it, kind of a high-stakes argument there with Titus because it basically affected his, you know, his life. Um, he was kind of a poster person. You know, it's like, well, you're a Greek. You know, you didn't grow up Hebrew. Uh, what's going to happen to you? How are you going to be a part of the church? And how is that going to look? And so Titus is right there in the midst of that. And he's there traveling with Paul, and he sees Paul there arguing for the, the gospel, Jesus, faith in Jesus, plus nothing. Not Jesus plus ceremonial law, just Jesus. Um, and so there Titus is um, in Jerusalem with, with Paul. There's some other things that Paul says about Titus. I'll read a couple more. This is from 2 Corinthians but thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, that is the Corinthians. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, is going to you of his own accord. So we learned in Corinthians that Titus not only goes with Paul different places, Paul sends him different places. And we learned a little bit about Titus's character, which is that he really cares for people. He really loves people. And he's really concerned about the Corinthians. And we, you know, reading the letters there in Corinth, in Corinth, you know, there's a lot of kind of messed up things going on there in the church at Corinth. And Paul and both, Titus both are full of love for these people, despite their faults and failures and struggles. And so we learn something about Titus, his character, but also kind of his past and how he's been traveling with Paul and being sent out by Paul. And then I'll read you another little short passage from Corinthians as well. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? So here's Paul, and he's sending Titus, and he's saying, we can kind of infer from this that Titus wasn't taking money from them, just like Paul was, and that's kind of this context here. But Titus is going, um, and he's staying and potentially working there uh, on his own as he's kind of helping and, and, and there to encourage the Corinthians. And so this is the background of Titus and Paul. We don't know a lot about him. We know that he's a Greek, um, and we know that he traveled with Paul in various stages of his journey. One thing that we don't know, and I'm gonna, I've got a PowerPoint here that I'm going to use as we do this. <clears throat> this is, um, one thing we don't know exactly is when Titus was written. We don't know for sure. And this is, you might have maps at the back of your Bible. This is Paul's trip to Rome. So this is after all his missionary journeys. It's the only time that we know for sure Paul was stopped in Crete. It's possible that he did at another time. But because this is the only time we know for sure, most people think this was Paul's last letter. So this is Paul's dying letter, in a way, the last letter he wrote before he was martyred, um, and most likely. And you can see, here's Crete right here, uh, this island in the Mediterranean. 
And Paul is not there very long. You actually probably remember this story. You might not remember that it was Crete, but remember the story where Paul is telling them, you know, it's going to be bad weather. Should we really stay here? And, and they don't listen, and then he, they get blown off course, and eventually um, they get shipwrecked. So that's Crete. They were, and I'll read you the passage here. But this is the only time we know for sure Paul was there in Crete. It doesn't sound like he was there for very long, so it's somewhat questionable. Is it possible this was another journey? And, you know, the list wasn't exhaustive, maybe. But most most scholars think that this is the last pet letter Paul wrote. And it's very short, so it kind of makes sense in a way that it was a short letter. Potentially, he wrote it after they were shipwrecked and sent it back. You know, it's like, well, I got this little scrap of paper, you know, Everything else is lost. Maybe I'll write this short letter or something like that. We don't know. But here's Crete right here, and I'll, I'll read you the passage. Actually, I think I have it on the next slide. Yes. Okay, so this is Crete, uh, kind of close up. And then you see Fair Havens and Lassia. Th- th- those are both mentioned in Acts. So I'll just read that to you. This is where it comes up, uh, where we know for sure Paul stopped, at least briefly, in Crete. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which is at Crete, near which was the city of Lassie. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but also south of Crete. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out from sea, to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. They actually don't know where that is, so that's why it's not on this map facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore, but soon a tempestuous wind called the nor'easter struck struck down from the land, and that's when they were blown, so they weren't actually able to stay in Crete over the winter. So that's how we know Paul briefly stopped in Crete, not for as long as they thought he would. So this is while Paul's in chains on his way to Rome. And so that's basically the background of what we know about Paul when he went to Crete and Titus. We know that Paul left Titus in Crete at some point. And so this is the best guess. Now just a little bit about Crete in Rome, Roman culture, the Greek culture in general that might affect how we kind of think about this section here. Well, they believed in a lot of these uh, different gods. And some interesting little notes that may or may not be connected, but possibly could be. At the beginning of this letter, Paul talks about God who does not lie, um, and and he brings that out. He doesn't say that specific phrase in any other place. But even in our language, you know, modern English, we can call people a Cretan, right? Does that sound familiar? Cretan. If you call someone a Cretan, it's an insult, you know, and it's not good. (laughs) And the same was true of the word Cretan in Greek, and it basically was kind of slang for a liar. And so Crete had this really bad reputation even in the Roman, Roman world at this time. And so they were really notoriously immoral. And Paul brings that up later here in the letter. We'll read that. Not only that, um, there's a lot of connections between the main god or the head of the gods in this culture. Um, 
Zeus or Jupiter, depending on whichever, Roman or Greek, but basically the same person um, here in Crete. There's a de- couple different connections. People in Crete had these different beliefs that Zeus was connected there for different reasons. Um, Z- there's this Zeus does all these weird, immoral things and deceives all these ladies and different things like that. And one of them actually took place on Crete, supposedly, um, where he kind of deceives these ladies into becoming his wives and different things like that. And so they really lift up um, Zeus here. And you could see how that might affect how they would act. Now, Augustine is quite a few years later, but he actually spends quite a bit of time in his book, The City of God, just hundreds of hundreds of um, kind of tedious pages <laughs> about all the gods and how they're inferior to Christianity. And one of the things he brings out is he brings out this instance where somebody goes to this play about Zeus and sees all these immoral things Zeus is doing in the play, and he thinks, wow, that's, that's a reason I can act like that. And um, it's kind of a famous example that he brings out to show, is this really the kind of person, you know, the kind of religion that you want to be imitating? Like, um, you don't want your kids to be like this. Um, and he brings out, this isn't particular, that one is a particular example about Zeus basically deceiving people like he was supposedly did on Crete. And they're saying this is, this is horrible, you know. And Augustine brings out quite a few other examples like that where what they believe is driving them into immorality. One example he talks about is they did this big festival that was really immoral to um, what they call the mother of the gods. And he says, very tongue-in-cheek, sarcastically, the songs you sing to this mother of the gods, you'd be ashamed to sing before your own mother, and you wouldn't even do it, because it's so bad. And the point is, do you really think this is a good thing, and also um, this is what the gods, quote-unquote, want? And so all that is to say, kind of wrapping this back up, why is this important here? Well, Crete has this reputation of being immoral and save you know not how do I, how um, immoral and a, a really bad reputation is the way to say it kind of an unsavory people and place and it is tied directly obviously to what they believe and so here comes Paul through Titus saying look we believe something different now and there's a church here of people who believe something different now and how is that going to affect your life personally, in the church, and in the culture at large. And that's really what the book is about. And so they're going from believing all these things, living in this culture, to believing something totally different. Believing in not a God who's immoral and does all these immoral things, but a God who doesn't lie. And, you know, obviously a lot of different, a lot of differences, but he's drawing out how does that impact your life. And so let's just go through the outline of the book. That's kind of a background, and now we're just going to do an overview. And let's just read through the whole thing. I'll just do it point by point, basically, in terms of the outline. But the first, let's see. Uh, actually, I think I'm going to skip this slide. I'll just start with the main thing. First, the pillar and the main thing that Paul is bringing out is, we call it a lot of different things, but the summary I'm going to use is God and the gospel. Another way you could say it is the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Like, what are the basic truths that we believe as Christians? 
And it really boils down to two things, who God is and how we can be right with God. And that's the root of all that Paul's going to say. And he starts out with that. He starts out talking about who God is. It's a God who cannot lie. Who what? Who promised? Well, let's just re- read that little section here at the beginning of Titus 1 again. 1-1. One, one. Let's read this one more time. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before time began, at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my child, in a common faith, grace and peace, from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. So here, here it is. What's the basic? That there's a God who didn't lie, who promised before time began that we could be saved from our sins by Christ. And those are the foundational things. Who God is and what is the gospel. And he starts there, but then as he goes through this letter, he's going to bring back all the points he's trying to make and use that as, if you're acting this way, why would you do that? Because remember who God is and what he's done for you, how he's forgiven you. And so he, he keeps bringing it back up as the foundation for the rest of the letter. So that's the main thing, and that's going to flow into and support all the other points that he makes, and he brings it back up in different places. So it starts here in one, but he brings it up again in two, and then again in chapter three. Okay, so first place that that flows into our life is in the church. And so this is what chapter one, the rest of chapter one is about. How does, who God is, and the fact that we can be saved from our sins through faith in Christ, how does that flow into our life as a church? Well, the church is a place for truth, uh, the truth of the gospel and of who God is. And he, as we read the rest of chapter 1, you'll see that he gives some things that that means we should do and should teach and things that we should pursue and things that we should avoid. So let's just read the rest of chapter 1 here. What does this mean for the church? in light of knowing the faith. What, what he says, he says it. Let's see. Where are we starting? Let's start in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and the children, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, another way to say the faith, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. 
They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Okay, so you see here how he talks about how does this flow out into the life of the church, and he brings out a lot of points, and I won't go over all of them because eventually we're going to do this in more detail since this is a large overview. But you can see that, one, the background of Crete here is is important because he's saying um, this is how everyone knows um, even proverbially that Cretans act and we're, it's different now. If you're in the faith, things have changed. And what's the church supposed to be? It's supposed to be a place where the gospel's taught. And not only that, not just where it's taught, but where we are teaching this is, this is the gospel here, faith in Christ, this is who God is, and we're also saying, well, this isn't, right? If somebody comes in saying something different, we, he says, reject that, and you contradict it. No, this is the gospel, and this isn't over here. And so he's, he's pointing out things both that we should have and things we should avoid. And he talks about how we should have elders. Um, what, what's the purpose of elders? Well, again, what we said is to preach the gospel and who God is. And that flows out into our lives. So that's all I'll say on that because we're going to go over it again. Just one whole sermon basically on that at least. So we'll keep going. What's the next thing? So both who God is and the gospel flow into this next section, chapter 2. Our our conduct, our roles, our families, our individual lives, you could say. Um, this is a part of the church, and the church flows in and affects this, but this is somewhat separate, right? Um, in a sense, it's, it's interconnected. It overlaps, but he's going to talk about you as a dad, you as an employee, or in this case, he's talking about slaves and masters. Um, as a young person, as an older person, how does this look and how does the gospel work out into our lives? How should we believe? What should we be like? How does this invade all of who we are, wherever we're at, whether that's a dad, a mom, uh, a son, an employee? All those things are affected by who God is and what he's done for us. And so that's this next section. It's truth, but it's also the, the church is, is a part of this in our life too and, and affects that as well. So let's read this next section. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Let's pause right there. See, he's saying the church is part of this, right? He's, he's telling Titus, as you teach this, this is what you're teaching. This is how the gospel affects people's lives. So that was older men, verse 3. Older women are likewise to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and, and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teachings, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Pause right there. So he already covered everybody, right? You're either a young man, you're either a young woman, or you're an older man, or an older woman, or you might not be sure exactly, you might have shades of both. You might be somewhere in the middle there. You don't know if you're young or old, but you definitely are a man or woman. Um, <laughs> So everybody's hit right there. 
um, how does this affect our life? Uh, how does this affect who we are? How does the gospel enter into not only that we go to church, but into our whole life and everything we do, everything we are? So let's keep going here, verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith or fidelity, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, notice here in verse 11, the shift back. What is the ground for all this? Why should all these things be taking place? Again, it's the gospel. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of our the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So, again, just like we said, this whole section is based on the gospel, and he brings it back up again. This is why. This is why all these things are are the case. For the reason is because of what Jesus Christ did for you. The gospel that we believe works its way out into all that you are, not just in the church, but at home, at work. And he talks about things that were. He gives some positives and he gives some negatives. There, you know, you should be like this, you know, and you should not be like this. You should be doing these things and you should not be gossiping, slander, you know, all these other things. And so. That's really chapter 2. One just quick side note here. Just This is a bonus. Um, verse 13 very clearly says Jesus is God. So if you ever have a conversation where somebody's like, well, which verse says Jesus is God? Well, John 1 is a good place, but this is also a really good one. Waiting for the blessed hope. Uh, this is 2.13, sorry. Waiting for the, our blessed hope and the appearing of, our, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says, God, Jesus is our God and Savior. And the nice thing about this particular verse is um, Jehovah's Witnesses specifically have changed John chapter 1. They forgot this part, so that's kind of nice. So you can, even in their Bible, you can say like, well, why don't you look at Titus 2, you know, uh, verse 13. It's like, oh, it does say Jesus is God there. <laughs> so that's, that's great. Um, praise the Lord for that. So just a kind of a bonus note there. But really ties back into here, God and the gospel, right? Because if we don't know who God is, and we don't know who, what the gospel is, or if we get one or other of those wrong, we, don't, we aren't Christians, right? If you knew the gospel, but you're worshiping a false god, you're not a Christian. If you know who God is, like the uh, Old Testament saints, they knew who God was, but Jesus says to them, unless you believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins, right? They knew who God was, and yet they're rejecting the gospel that Jesus brings. It's like, no, I'm rejecting you, uh, Jesus, and the message you're teaching, and he says, you're lost. Even though you know so much about the identity of God, you, you don't have the gospel. You've rejected it, and there's not hope for you. And so we've got to have both, right? We know who God is, and we know what the gospel is. All right, so that's chapter 2. Good thing this is a short book, right? <laughs> it's only 45 verses, so we can just keep going. 46, I think, actually. Okay, so this is the last thing here. So what does that mean? How does God and the gospel flow out into us as we interact with our culture. And so this 
third chapter talks about our relationship to the world, both uh, authorities and just general unbelievers that we run into. How, do, how does this message of who God is and, and what the gospel is, how does that flow into our relationship with just the overall culture and the individual people we meet, as well as uh, governments and authorities that aren't following the Lord, don't know the Lord, don't believe the truth? And so how do we interact there? What does the gospel inform us? How does the gospel inform us in that who God is flow out into our lives in terms of not just at church, not just our character and our, in our families, but as we go out into the world, as we interact with people, what, how does that look? So let's read chapter 3 here. I'm going to get a drink before I... I realized when we started like going through this, I was like, man... We did Nehemiah, which has a lot of lists. <laughs> I chose this book. It's like, oh, now going through it, it's like, man, this book is basically full of just lists, too. <laughs> so a couple different back-to-back series with lots of lists. But at least this one's not names, so that's good. Okay. Ch- chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So, pause right there. See how he's going back and forth? It should look like this. It should not look like this. Avoid this. Pursue this. Okay, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pause right there. So again, how we relate to unbelievers in general, authorities, just in the culture in general, he's saying that, how we do that is based on the fact that we used to be sinners and we were saved not because of how great we were but because of Christ's mercy towards us and grace towards us and who God is and the gospel flows into our interactions with other people which is a pretty helpful thing to think about you know as you interact with somebody who's rude who's mean or who's even maybe lying to you the gospel informs how you act there because you remember oh yeah I used to lie when it got me ahead I used to um, be living just for me but what's different? It's not that I'm awesome. It's not that I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. What's different is God saved me by grace through Jesus. And so that informs how I interact here. And so you can see, I don't know, we'll just keep going. There's a lot more we can say on that. All right, let's keep pick it up here in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and are profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Pause right there. That section right there, it doesn't quite fit into my outline very well because it actually kind of fits a lot more in the church Again, uh, kind of going back and forth. But it's, it kind of overlaps with this one here, but 
kind of figure out a good way to show that visually. But um, again, there's things that we should pursue in light of the faith delivered once for all and things that we should avoid. Um, so let's finish this up. This is kind of verse 12 to the end is kind of his conclusion here, just at the end of the letter. When I send Artemis or Titus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there, which could be a clue on when this was written, but kind of people disagree on what that means. So, Anyways, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So that's it. That's Titus. That's the overview where we're going. That's kind of, you know, a 122nd version of quite a few sermons there that we're going to go through. And so this is something to think about and kind of helpful for you, hopefully, if you if you want to dig into this more if you want to read through chapter 1, because um, you know we're going to be talking about that and think about it, pray about it, you can. If you don't, I'm not going to give like a pop quiz or anything. So, But if you want to dig in more, you can and think about it and pray about it, especially even you know chapter 2 where it talks about this is who I am in this chapter. And I could you pray through that. God, am I given to gossip? Lord, am I uh, above reproach? Do I have self You know, those kind of things. So... This is where we're going. Um, I think there's even things from today, even just this large overview that we can praise God for. One way we can apply this is just to praise God for the gospel, uh, for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. We can thank God for who he is and what he's done for us, that we can be saved through Christ's death, not based on how great we are. We can pray, God, help me in every year of my life, as a, help, help us as a church to be living this out, to be... Um, not only teaching the truth, but that it flows into our lives. Uh, we want to, just as we talked about in Nehemiah, we want to hold on to the truth, and we want to hold on to obedience. Uh, we want to have both. We don't want to let go of either one, uh, compromise in any area there. So we can pray for that, pray for our church. We can pray for our relationships, you know, husband to wife, friend to friend, employee, employer, uh, even just church members together you know god please help us not to be focusing on quarrels arguments about the law we want to be focusing on you what you've done um give us clarity there's a lot of things we could pray about in terms of our church as a whole our relationships together just ask the lord to help us and then we could pray for you know our relationship with the outside world whether that's the government whether that's an individual believer you're interacting with you could just pray god Please let what you've done inform how I respond. Help me remember who you are, what you've done for me, the good news of the gospel as I go throughout my day. And it's it's an encouragement to think as we you know go through this series, but just as we go through this week, just to think, my whole life is saying something about Jesus. And is that flowing out? Is that what's flowing out? Um, is that what's informing me as I act and react or or is it something else? And so we can ask the Lord to show us, to help us, and that we might grow in all these areas, right? We don't want, I mean, think about how sad it would be if we were really great in one of these areas, 
right? Like our church was awesome and our lives and our interactions with the outside world were a mess. That'd be really sad, right? We want all, we want the whole thing. Um, the whole, all of it starts with the foundation of who God is and how we can be right. And that flows into every area, but we want, we want to be, uh, doing everything that Christ has asked us to do in every area throughout all our days, not just Sunday morning, not just at home, but all the time. Um, or not just when we're at work and then when we get home, we lose, you know, then we lose self-control or whatever all the time. Um, and we can ask the Lord to help us. So that's where we're going. And, um, hopefully that was understandable, clear, and, uh, we get something we can apply to our lives this week. Well, why don't we close and just pray together. Lord, thank you just that this book exists and uh, pray that you'd use it in our lives. Um, I pray you'd help us to be better church members, better fathers, better mothers, sons, daughters, um, better neighbors. Uh, We just want to be more like you and I pray that the gospel would invade all pieces of our life. Um, I pray that you would change us and help us to see um, who you are and what you've done for us and how that works its way out. And that it would, um, we want to be more like you every day and honor you and reflect you. So we're just asking for help. Amen.